Welcome to the Big Marf Brain Trust. As always, we get around the non-fungible campfire and talk all things crypto and NFTs, primarily NFTs, because you're listening to this on the NFT 101 podcast page. But as always, I am joined by two of my favorite humans. You know them, you love them. Well, all right, you may not love them, but yeah, I'll at least like them. Nathan Simone and Kalichi eBay. I love them. I, I personally love them. But Nathan, we have a guest on the program this week, someone joining us for the first time, and it's coming to us from the Cardano world. Fill us in on who's joining us here on the mothership. Exactly. Everybody knows that we hate Cardano over here at the Bitmar <laughs> Brain Trust, which is we talk about it constantly. Uh, people are probably sick of it at this moment. But it's the third lady, the third lady to brave the Brain Trust. The first one they had was a beauty queen who now does technical analysis and is a trader. The second one was a stand-up comedian who worked for the CIA. People will forget that. And the third one, I think, is even better. It's Nighthawk, who is a lady in the Cardano space doing so much stuff that I can barely keep track of it. I actually have to have her link tree here pulled up to keep track of the stuff that she is doing. Uh, one of the first female advisors, or I'm sorry, the first female advisor in the Cardano space here to chat with us about one of our favorite subjects. Like I said, Cardano, Kalichi, Matt, please, let's welcome, let's welcome hey. Nighthawk here to the Brain Trust. hey yo. How Hello. are you? Thank you so much for having I'm really excited to chat to you guys. Same here. Same here. I know that uh, you know Kalichi a little bit because you have uh, helped him out with um, Ghost Chain NFT Club. And um, even though that is still in the building process, and oh, they are building, aren't mm -hmm. they, Kalichi? They are definitely building. But I really want to chat with you because not only are female voices and female creators in crypto in general a minority, which is why we liked having people like BTC Bella or um, Jessica Brodkin on the podcast, because you just get a different, interesting perspective. You are in Cardano specifically, and you are doing it big with Cardano. And you're kind of like a, I guess, like for lack of a better word, like a leader of Cardano women to where I knew about you because I saw you on Twitter and Kalichi introduced me and things like that. But then I would go to your link tree and you would host these roundtables with other Cardano women that are other creators in the Cardano NFT space. And I would be like, I've never heard of any of these people. So it's a good thing that I was introduced to them. And we definitely want to chat with you about all things happening in Cardano right now. Cardano NFTs, women in Cardano, just that, you know, to kind of set the stage right there. So maybe a good way to start here, a good way to start because other people might not know you, especially if they're not big into Cardano, even though they should be. Um, <laughs> and because you've interviewed people like Patrick Tobler, who we've had on the show, friend of the show, please come back, Patrick, we're dying here. Um, <laughs> maybe you could tell us how you got into Cardano and how you specifically have like become an advisor and uh, like just kind of the litany of stuff that you do. And that would be an easy place to start. Yeah, absolutely. So my background is in consulting, um, specifically technology and software as a service. And um, it was during COVID, actually, that I really started to dig into 
crypto um, and specifically NFTs. So I was actually watching one of my favorite uh, crypto YouTubers called Brian Jung. And he all of a sudden was covering NFTs on Ethereum. And I was doing some research and I went to OpenSea and I wanted to buy a decentralized skin for about $13, $15. Um, however, the gas fee was about $185, $200. And I thought, no. There's got to be a more efficient way of purchasing and getting involved in this emerging market called NFTs. And from there, um, I did some research. I went into Reddit and all of a sudden people were chatting about Cardano NFTs and that there were really no transaction fees or no gas fees rather. And the transaction fees were so minute that it was a fraction of, a, of an ADA. Um, so it's quite affordable. And I saw, you know, this entire marketplace emerging that was just like a startup. There were no best practices. There were no leadership there. You know, there were these one off projects um, minting. So uh, effectively publishing the NFTs on the blockchain because they could. And the roadmap was very much um, inspirational. It wasn't necessarily something that we could guarantee as project leads that in fact it could be done. So the first few projects, and I want to say were, were starting to mint back in March of 2021, um, they were simply minting as proof of concept really there wasn't too much in the form of utility, right? There wasn't a next step in terms of, okay, what do we do now that we have these pretty profile pictures or JPEGs as people like to call them. And so really, you know, I spent 2021, I, I joined the space um, as far back as I can remember when I joined Discord, which was so intimidating by the way, but that's, you know, the primary point of, of where all these projects live and where the communities live is in Discord and, I was so intimidated and I look back and um, it was actually the 1st of June, 2021, that I joined Discord. And that's when I really started to kind of dig into the projects. Um, I moderated a bit for a Twitch streamer. I just volunteered my time to get to know the projects and the leads and just sort of make relationships with other people that were hosting um, interviews on YouTube. and. Um, one of those really popular YouTubers specifically for Cardano NFTs is Cardano Thor. And we actually kind of grew up in the space together. We joined around the same time. Um, I remember joining his, his stream and learning about NFTs together way back in the day. Um, and yeah, from there, I just kind of learned and had conversations. And I think the most important bit as far as me kind of familiarizing myself enough to advise was to build relationships with those projects and volunteer my time. So it might've been for a month, it could have been for a quarter or a year, but I really did volunteer my time and get to know um, kind of where we were at and uh, try to get a, a glimpse on where we were headed. So I was trying to kind of work with the project leads and anticipate what our community would want next. And of course the community was looking at Ethereum, which at that time was about four or five years of maturity. And so, you know, we were basically trying to figure out, okay, what should we offer that's different about Cardano? How are we going to differentiate our projects and really how are we going to pro provide value to those people that are all of a sudden minting on projects and putting an ADA into, into our ecosystem? Fascinating. So you're telling me that the entire reason you're in the Cardano space is because you started looking at Ethereum and I tell people this all the time 
Uh, the gas fees are crazy, people. The merge didn't help that. It just helped energy usage. This is, I'm, I'm going to ask you a follow-up question here, but I just wanted to say, you know, I also, when I first got into NFTs, OpenSea was like, I don't know, it's like the Walmart of NFTs, right? You're just like, there's one in every corner. Mm-hmm. Um, I set up a wallet and I even, I even timed because I knew that Ethereum gas fees varied depending on the time of day. I timed to wake up at 2 a.m. to fund this wallet. And it still cost me $160 to initialize the wallet. You know how often I use that wallet? Zero. I never use that wallet. Okay. I used it a couple of times. I got familiar with NFTs. I'm interested in, in this though, real quick. So obviously you wanted to go to Cardano because there aren't any gas fees and there are fractional transaction fees because Cardano has been set up like that. Did you investigate other blockchains? Because it seems like you weren't into crypto or NFTs at all until last year. And now you're like, obviously way deep into it. I feel like I'm talking to an OG, you know, somebody who's been in as long as I have since like 2017 or something like that. So did you investigate any other blockchains or did you just land on Cardano because you saw that they'd been building from the ground up in this academic fashion for so long? Um, that's a good question. And in some, I did not. Um, I, I got kind of lucky. I landed in Cardano. I saw that there was opportunity to be an early adopter. I saw that there were more doors open to me um, than not, which is very atypical. You don't get that in Web2 at all. There are leaps and hurdles. There's seniority to deal with. There's red tape um, legalities. And, you know, in Cardano NFTs, there's not or there wasn't at the time. And as I was volunteering myself, I just kept getting, yes, 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 we'll take you, we'll take you, whatever, what do you think? And, you know, I kind of put my consultancy cap on and I thought, right, what would I do in a startup environment? First, I'd learn the space, then I'd learn the client, which is the projects. And then from there, um, I'd craft a consultancy. And that's really what I did. Um, The thing about Cardano is that the ecosystem is very, on the whole, um, welcoming, or it was at the time. And there was very few sort of red tape. And for the most part, you could get into any door you'd like. Um, Certainly now there are politics involved and and there's other sort of structures in place. But at the time, there really was opportunity um, to kind of make your mark and choose the rules for yourself. Because there was really no advisors there, there were no formalized community managers there. it, or, or even formalized marketplaces. I remember, and like no offense whatsoever to you know Ryan at CNFTIO, he's he's a doll. But I remember looking at CNFTIO, which was the primary marketplace for Cardano NFTs at the time, and it it reminded me of a a diary of a, you know a, a WordPress website one might use as a blog, um, and the UI was just not that not that great and everything just looked so initial that I knew this was an opportunity fascinating because you know what you know what's funny is people outside of the Cardano ecosystem you know despite being the third largest chain I believe on NFTs and consistently in the top 10 on coin market cap uh, you know, there's people that are still just not even like aware that it's really a thing. So it's mm-hmm. funny that you're saying like, oh, I remember the good old days when you could just walk in and there's no red red tape because to some people, maybe that still is the way if they're coming from Ethereum or they're coming from, I don't know, Tezos or Algorand or something Solana. like that. <laughs> oh gosh, we, we're going to talk about Solana later. But um, 
I, I find this fascinating because you have like a consultancy slash management background. So maybe it was like, it was much more natural for you to come in and be like, because, uh, because, uh, I don't want to say a criticism. Something that I love about the Web3 and crypto space is you have a lot of creative people sitting right next to very, very technical people, but not enough people in the middle to help manage them both so they can both work together. Yeah, so you you definitely probably have that skill set from all the stuff that I've seen where a lot of people probably not only wanted you, but needed you. And I wondered if you could speak a little bit more on that. Sure. Yeah. And I think the middle ground really that you're sort of insinuating would be more of a, a project manager type skill suite, right? Where you kind of know to put the pieces together, you understand um, the big picture goal, and you assemble team members who have that skill sets to actually move forward and, and begin executing and evolving our space. We don't have that. We still don't have too many of those. Um, it's true that it, it does seem like the space as a whole tends to attract two camps um, and and really no middle ground. So that's really the ground that I represent. Um, So the two camps really are the collectors themselves, right? Those who are casual investors who are curious and they want to effectively build up their their bag before Cardano becomes um, too expensive to invest in. And the second camp are developers, those who actually want to build on Cardano and want to see how much they can make a difference. Um, okay, that's great. So really where you see me fitting in is in the middle ground of project advisory and management. Um, and there are very few people, I think, within that sort of background where this ecosystem makes sense to them um, because it's unproven. You, in a sense, really have to be willing to work in ambiguous scenarios and you have to sort of make this up as you go and be willing to structure your rules um, modeled after web two, modeled after whatever it is that you learned, you know, in your corporate job or whatever. Um, that's scary for a lot of people. And it certainly was for me. I mean, sometimes I think like, who do I think I am to do this? But at the same time, you know, I can kind of paint it over, but in some it's because I could, right. It's because I, I had enough, uh, belief in myself and enough doors open that, I just sort of take it. I took a chance and and um, I started to continue to build. I wish that we had more people uh, that were that came from a similar background that could sort of specialize in team formation and leadership and public speaking and all these different things. But the reality is that it takes a very specific kind of person who's willing to work with ambiguous scenarios like this. Well, absolutely nothing is guaranteed and you really have to treat everything you do in this space as a startup. You're absolutely going to be investing, investing before you see any payback, at which point that payback might be, you know, at maturation, which is four, five, six years down the line. And um, so not only is it a matter of skill suite, but it's also a matter of endurance. And when you put that together and you're asking a lot from others who have, you know, a job or children or partners, it's a lot to ask to invest in something like that. Absolutely. I know exactly what you mean, but from a, a different perspective here. And Matt or Kalichi, feel free to jump in at any time. Um, 
you know, what you're saying about, it's funny because you're speaking about Cardano, like there's still so much, to, like, like there hasn't been all this development that's done, you know, the Vasil fork, uh, the Vasil fork upgrade went live in uh, early September, which was essentially Cardano's version of the merge. It improved the system even more. Transaction fees went down even more. Nobody seemed to talk about it because, you know, Ethereum's the the big boy on the playground that everybody wants to, to play with or something like that. But it, I, I understand completely what you mean um, in an even broader context where I will still talk to people about Bitcoin as a store of value, as a financial investment, and they don't want to touch it, even though it now has over a decade of, you know, it's growing, people continue to improve it. Uh, you have institutional investment in the billions of dollars. So I definitely understand what you mean when you're talking about an even, you know, technically smaller project, a project that is um, not in the mainstream public eye, does not have the brand recognition like Bitcoin, but which actually is somewhat better and inspired by Bitcoin because that's how Charles Hoskinson wanted it to be. I'm interested, we asked Patrick this as well, but I'm, I'm interested in, in your opinion about what makes Cardano so different? What do you think attracts people to it? And specifically, Cardano seems to attract these very creative interesting people that they're not like um, hardcore kind of political people, like a lot of people in the Bitcoin space, but they're also not these like kind of crazy developer, uh, try not to frame people too negatively here. The type of people that are usually attracted to Ethereum. Uh, that the I maxis? <laughs> the, the Ethereum maxis. I actually like the, the type of people that Cardano seems to attract. And I, uh, I'm interested into what you think makes makes Cardano so different and why these kind of like beautifully weird people are attracted to Cardano. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Charles Hoskinson has established an ethos of the blockchain, right? Which is uh, helping others. It's about effectively solving real world problems um, to bank uh, the, the majority of the world. Um, there's a sense of altruism, I think, in the ethos of Cardano. And it's made very clear throughout leadership. Um, and that I think really attracts, you know, like attract li attracts like. And I think that the, that message does permeate our entire ecosystem, um, especially when it comes to the developers, especially when it comes to the, the people that are actually creating use cases out of our blockchain. So when you have that and it's consistently communicated then you're probably going to get like-minded people. That's my theory, at least. It, it makes sense. And, and, you know, too, I, um, I'm, I'm a recent convert to Cardano. I've probably, I've known about it since it came around. My brother was actually the first one to tell me about it, but it took Kalichi when me and Kalichi went to a conference in Austin, just hammering it into my head every day. You know how Kalichi is. He's uh, <laughs> just a hard ass. Um, <laughs> no, he just, he got me to look at it a, a second, maybe third time again. And then he was really talking about it. He was like, you know, Cardano NFTs are really coming up. People are sleeping on them to which I think they still are technically in the mainstream blockchain space. But that's another thing too, is that um, it, not just what's available on JPEG store, just uh, all on all the Cardano NFT marketplaces. I personally like Cardano NFTs better than any other blockchain because it seems to attract this really weird type of altruistic, just nice artist. And I know that you talked about there's politics in the community now that's in, that's in everything, but 
what 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 do you think about it that because the Cardano ecosystem NFT ecosystem too is is relatively new. Um, why do you think that it was the Cardano NFT ecosystem that got this great infusion of art that's not that's now coming from Solana? We can talk about that. Is it just because the transaction fees were finally there, so it's more of a free market, or is it once again what you're speaking to about this ethos of like Charles Hoskinson has has deemed uh, has deemed a utopia, and so it shall be so. <laughs> Yeah. Well, okay. So a lot of these projects, you know, you can think of them as businesses, right? Um, a lot of them have business models. The ones that don't work out tend to not have great ones. However, as a business owner, you're looking at, right, what is uh, the lowest hanging fruit or the barrier to least resistance when you're starting a business? And that includes cost. So when you are launching, you know, there's a there's a huge difference between launching a project on Ethereum, which is going to cost you tens of thousands versus launching on Cardano, which is probably going to cost you to mint. I don't know if you hundred. So that's that's the case. But also, I think we see a lot of artists coming over to Cardano NFTs specifically because they see what I saw, which is there's room to grow. There's room to make your mark and you're not going to necessarily get easily overlooked on this blockchain. It's really easy to be a big fish in a small pond, still on Cardano, if you are in fact bringing something of value. A perfect example is Cornucopias, right? They're an, an emerging gaming, um, AAA gaming actually, um, project that's emerging on Cardano and no one else is doing what they're doing. Um, and so that's, it's really easy, I think. and. When you chat to these projects, a lot of them are, they're looking to make a splash, but they're also looking to be an early adopter. So in a sense, they all kind of are, you know, they have that cap of innovation on them already. They want to stand out. And on Ethereum, I think too, and on Solana, there's a mixture of the culture that doesn't necessarily appeal to them and the politics involved, not just the financial aspect of it. I have, oh, your, I have a question about that. I'm sorry, Nathan, but <laughs> no worries. When you talk about the politics of it, it does feel, and this is prevalent in every aspect of modern culture, tribalism within the space. You know, people yeah. who are fiercely loyal to one thing and will forsake all others for it. Do you feel that the Cardano space does a good job of trying to limit tribalism? Do you feel that when it's, you know, when in comparison to Ethereum or some of the other blockchains or even just people going in the hyper-specific exchanges, it starts to feel like sports or starts to feel a lot like politics where people are picking sides and are being absolutists on specific things instead of having a conversation and talking about what's best for the total ecosystem instead of these different echo chambers yeah absolutely in some there's absolutely tribalism in cardano nfts and that that's one of the recent trends that you know the space was not infected with it early days meaning last year um this year it's a completely different story but it's also part of being an ecosystem that's growing and it's figuring out what it, what it is right um because we're in a bear market as well things have slowed down um in terms of the hype the the development itself is not at all but development is not sexy um to the masses you know talking about protocols is not sexy so what we have is tribalism at the moment and i think it's going to phase out because people are going to see that the most important thing and the thing that's really going to pump their bags if that's what they care about is uh, continuous building and then seeing those things launch 
And then from there, um, seeing the valuation of the NFTs uh, by force increase. So at the moment, we absolutely have tribalism. It's, I'll be honest, it's it's not the greatest experience. You, you're not, you're not not touched by it um, just because you're in leadership or you're part of a project. It's it's everywhere, specifically within Twitter Spaces. There are groups that simply choose to focus on one or two or three projects over and over again because they're major holders of those projects. And, uh, you know, there's definitely a group that focuses or chooses to support certain projects and then ignore the others. Um, And I think, again, it just kind of comes to the time and maturation that we are in. I think it's going to phase out, but until we actually see the fruits of our labor start to uh, mature and launch and make us all uh, wealthier, I would say, then you're going to see this happen. It's it's just an unfortunate part of growing, I think. Oh, yes. A quick follow-up to that. Um, it, you, you, it, you had mentioned that um, like the early days, you know, last year, um, the, the space was more like welcoming, you know, in terms of, you know, ideas and people, but it, it seems to sound like lately it's, it's not, it's not been that way. It's not as welcoming as, as it once was. Do you, do you know why that is or where, where that's coming from? Um, you know, we, since the rising of Twitter spaces, which only happened several months ago, um, there are definitely more people coming in, more people who want to learn about the space and their favorite way of learning about Cardano NFTs is through Twitter spaces, actually. And we have now um, hosts and personalities and influencers who are establishing themselves as influencers that appeal to a lot of people. And they have the, the primitive and very uh, powerful situation of being influencers for our incoming investors or those who are thinking about investing. So they can use it for evil, they can use it for goods. Some of them, you know, have their place and it's 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 a struggle for sure. Um, one of the things that I did actually recently was launch NFT Guardian. So it's a brand new Twitter space. And you know, on that page, I say information first. I want it to be all about the information bringing value from the second minute we're on, talking to our top minds like Patrick at Endmaker, Blake at JPEG store, um, Blackbird at Dropshop, um, you know, Cornucopias, Virtua, Carter Station, all of these top-notch projects and bring value to our space so that we can limit the tribalism involved. And um, part of that is simply, you know, to kind of give you guys insight into what tribalism Twitter spaces look like. It's, it's a lot of um, pumping up projects that, again, they're invested in or sort of informal conversations that feel more like hanging out and, uh, you know, water cooler chat or schoolyard chat than, than really learning about the protocols and the new technology and the new utilities that are out. Yeah, that that's unfortunate to hear. You know, uh, uh, kind of another reason why when I do podcasts. I like to do them over video is because even though I love Twitter spaces, um, there is that sort of removed element where it's like, you could be chatting with somebody on Reddit, right? Where it's text-based and then it immediately devolves into an argument. It's because there's that removal of the human element. And I feel like even though the voices are present on Twitter spaces, 
you're not actually seeing somebody. There's not, I don't know, there's not that like human, that basic level of human dignity there. So that is unfortunate that it is happening. Um, I haven't really been part of a lot of those Twitter spaces. To be honest, I don't really have that much time. And I also have to do ones for Bitmart. But um, maybe, I don't know. That's why I kind of like your round tables as well, my talk, is because not only did I not know that a lot of these projects and a lot of women existed, it's just, it's more interesting, I think, when you can see the actual person. Like, for example, you had, um, <laughs> at least you won't know this, I knew about Clay Nation for months. I didn't even know that it was a women-led project, and I didn't know that it was a mom and her daughter. And you had one of the moms on one of your round tables there, and it's just like connecting a person with the actual project that you've seen on the screen perhaps hundreds of times, I think is a very good thing, not only for the space, but specifically for these projects. Um, something that I wanted to, to kind of touch on here, you talked about that talking about development and talking about protocol is not very sexy. Uh, yeah. I agree as a marketer, but you know, what's interesting is that's what got me to like Cardano when Kalichi kept harping on it was the fact that I'm not afraid that the Cardano network is going to go down anytime soon. And to now talk about Solana and Solana NFTs, why I think people are moving from Solana to Cardano. I'm not worried about Cardano being so centralized that they're just going to switch it off one day because they feel like it, which has happened on Solana like five times this year. Uh, people hate it when I say that. Um, and I really would like to get somebody from Solana on to kind of push back against me. But um, yeah, it's, also, too, Cardano has been self-funded from the start uh, with their uh, with IOHK and Emergo and um, all the sort of corporations that they've set up. And they, they've moved slow so that now when you're like, how can they do all this stuff? And once again, to, to Kalichi's credit, he's like, oh, because they took the time to do it and they made sure that it was going to work before they launched it. So now when you're seeing the FTX collapse, right? And people didn't know that Solana was, uh, FTX was majorly VC funded by Solana. And they're wondering why is Solana doing all this stuff? It's because there's contagion risk. They were linked to all this stuff. I like the fact that Cardano has taken this development, its protocol very seriously. And it's kind of its own thing that since it has taken the time to grow, since it's laid that solid foundation, the house is not going to fall down anytime soon. Kalichi, Matt, do you have anything else to add to that? Yeah, I've got I've got something real quick on that. I think that when we're talking about the Solana and FTX collect connections and the idea of doing it right and doing it fast, what seems to be in this space outside of the HODL movement, there's a lot of people who are getting into this space now for quick cash to make a big buck, make a big statement, try to get in and get out. And I think that's one of the things that led to FTX's inevitable downfall once you start seeing a lot of the filings coming out about what happened to FTX. And shout out to Nathan, who's got that news coming to us every day on the on the uh, Daily Crypto Watch. But Nighthawk, when it comes to tempering expectations you were talking about developing that maturity developing that yield it sounds much more like a traditional investment a traditional security and kind of going against a lot of the norms we're seeing in the crypto space ever since 2021 when things started going to quote unquote the moon there's a lot more on the cardano side at least what i'm hearing from you from kalichi from nathan from other people we've had on the show it's about embracing the process and trusting that the work you're putting in is going to pay off in the long haul. Do you see people 
embracing that more and more? Or do you see with a lot of the other blockchains, why are we taking our time? Why are we not capitalizing on X, Y, or Z? Do you feel that those voices get shouted down easier in Cardano? Or do you think that it's just there's enough people in the space to understand the totality of the process and you don't deal with it as much? Yeah. Um, so I guess the easiest way to, to sort of explain this is that you go into, for example, two different shops, right? And they're completely different. They attract a completely different customer. They're run a completely different way. You go into Walmart, for example, you know that pretty much you're on your own to, to navigate the labyrinth. And however, if you go into something like Saks Fifth Avenue or Louis Vuitton, you're going to have much more customized and faster service. It's the same thing as when you go into Cardano, you know the ethos, you know what we're, how we run things and you know how slowly development is when you compare it to another blockchain perhaps. So when you get that, um, all of a sudden there's a culture that supports that. And then they exude those expectations. They remind new investors of those expectations. And from there, as an investor, you can decide whether that works for you or whether it doesn't. And typically, if it doesn't, it's when you lose funds the first time or the second time, and then you're out. I can speak specifically to the Cardano NFT ecosystem in that there's definitely um, an emphasis from our investors, from collectors, and I use those terms interchangeably. There's definitely... Uh, some push from in, our holders to mature the ecosystem faster, to define what we're going to be faster, um, to mature our business models. But quite frankly, we're not yet there. And so the holder or the investor has two options. Either they stick it out and they adopt that, that pace of maturation or they don't, you know, and you can move on to Ethereum or whatever blockchain that you'd like. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, all the Cardano NFTs that I have, I bought because I thought that they were brilliant pieces of art. I don't expect to be a millionaire overnight. I know that there's a lot of work that goes into this. I'm kidding. I don't, I don't think any of them will actually go into value. I legitimately bought them because as I was talking about, I like a lot, so much of the art that's on Cardano. You know, Nighthawk, we've been talking about Cardano. We've been talking about the ecosystem. We've been talking about tribalism. I want to talk about you what you're doing, because like I said, I've got your link tree pulled up. You're doing so much stuff that I, I have to have the link tree pulled up because I can't remember all of it. I'm like, when I see the amount of stuff you're doing, I just want to go take a nap, right? I feel lazy. Me too. Um, <laughs> we can take a break here and come back. Um, I'm just going to read them off real quickly, and then you can start with some of your favorites or maybe the newest one or what you think is most relevant. Floorless, Head of Growth, Firebird Media, Working with Dropshop as partnerships, NFT Guardian, I think you talked about that, Voice of Reason, Twitter Spaces, Developer Collective, a minting agency. You are a sponsorships ambassador for CNFTCon, which was a big conference. Uh, you have your own advisory services. You're a launchpad mentor on JPEG Store. You do roundtables on YouTube for women and prominent people in the space. Uh, you've got a YouTube channel, and of course, you've got that lovely Twitter. Wow. Okay. So which one... Um, maybe is your favorite right now or which one do you think is the newest that you're trying to maybe integrate but i'd love you to talk about all of them or any of them if you want to yeah um so lately i've kind of come at a crossroads where 
I want to decide, you know, do I really want to be quote unquote an influencer in the space and sort of known for for my thoughts or known for my roundtables and making relationships and sort of hopping around advising different things. Um, and as I was in conversation with, with a few people in our space, um, they sort of, you know, related to me as an influencer. They said, oh, you're an influencer. So we could really use your input or your support or, um, and really, as I thought about, you know, my own roadmap, my own internal roadmap for where I want to be in the space or what I want to contribute, I really want to start contributing to protocols or, or tools for our developers that will really push our space forward and provide us more utility and more use cases. I think that's probably the most effective use of my time as I'm doing this full time as well as my regular day job, right? So I had to think, where do I want to place most of my time? And this opportunity with with Flawless um, is a new brand new NFT exchange protocol with Dropshop as a developer. This sort of fell into my lap and um, it was an amazing opportunity to be part of a protocol that's basically going to, to revolutionize the way that we transact NFTs on Cardano. Um, and it's just an amazing opportunity where I can see this making a difference. I can see this going down in history books and I definitely want to be part of the conversation and part of socializing it and effectively part of adopting it into our, our marketplaces, new and emerging. Fascinating. Uh, so now you've piqued my interest. What is what is floorless? Because I've seen you tweet about it too, but I, I haven't really investigated it. So like if it if it's crazy and it's revolution, tell us about it. Like what is it exactly? Yeah. So it's a protocol, which means that it's an underlying technology, right? Um, there's new UI for it. It's literally the code. And so for every marketplace like JPEG store or CNFT.io, um, effectively, this is going to change the way that you as a marketplace and the holder as an NFT holder transact. So at the moment, when you go onto JPEG store, you need to, for example, update every single listing you'd like to update. If you see, for example, that you want to change that pricing because the floor has all of a sudden quadrupled in price and you want to get there and change the pricing to capture that increased run, um, you're going to have to wait your turn. You're going to have to do it one-on-one. -on -one. And I believe, I think it was Cardano Thor who said he, he updated 100 NFTs and it took him six plus hours of doing that. Um, and this marketplace, it, one of the use cases is that you're going to be able to update all of your listings in one single transaction. So it's like, you you know, you select, 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 sign it, sign the transaction, and all of a sudden, all your listings are updated with pricing. However, if another marketplace also adopts uh, and is using Flores, then all the listings are going to be updated on that marketplace simultaneously. So it's a single point of entry. So you no longer need to go to different marketplaces so long as they use flawless and you'll be able to update your listings, put up, take down, modify. As well, there's another use case, which is probably the most popular one, which is effectively it's going to enforce royalties. So at the moment, what you have are marketplaces who enforce royalties on chain and then marketplaces that do not. For every marketplace that uses flawless, they're effectively going to reinforce whatever the project leads designate as their royalty policy um so so that's one of the use cases of it but but really when you think about flawless it's a plugin right um 
help there's obviously a lot of, of integration that takes place behind the scenes and as i mentioned there's no ui the ui would come on the part of the marketplaces building that um but it really is a matter of a plugin whereby you have this code the marketplace adopts that code and all of a sudden they they provide more use cases for the average holder as well as assurance when it comes to royalties on the project side wow that's very fascinating I definitely see why that is that is useful. Uh, Kalicha, if you have a comment here, I'll, I'll let you get in in one second because we've spoken about on the show about how Magic Eden screwed itself by <laughs> dropping royalties down to the floor. Everybody wants to race to the bottom with not paying artists royalties. And then you're just like, well, sorry, y'all, your marketplace is made up of artists. So <laughs> I don't know, are you going to do the art now? So that is fascinating. Thank you for explaining that. I totally understand why that makes sense now. Um, when you were talking about Cardano Thor taking six hours to update 100 listings, it brought me back to when I was a teenager and used to pirate a lot of music. Uh, don't come after me, people. And I remember that before I found out that you could uh, <laughs> that you could go into iTunes and change information by like selecting a bunch of things and doing it at once, I would do it one by one and it would take quite a long time. And I have none of that music anymore. So what has happened to it? What was the point? <laughs> what was the point of it? Uh, floorless. Wow. So when you were saying revolutionary, you weren't kidding. And I find that super fascinating because in case people don't know what Nighthawk was talking about, JPEG store is essentially open sea of Cardano for now. Okay. For now, I think it's going to have some competition coming up and, and, uh, marketplaces that not only use floorless, but that can outcompete JPEG store in certain ways as this ecosystem develops, that's going to be a huge win. That is fascinating. Kalichi, did you have something to say? Now, I was just going to comment about the, the flawless. Like, that's, that sounds like a very, very, uh, you know, useful tool um, for marketplaces and for um, just retail investors or collectors. Um, uh, so, Nighthawk, would you say the, the flawless, would you say the, the primary um, kind of target market is just like marketplaces or is it like just um, regular, regular um, everyday use uh like retail um, collectors yeah it's it's for marketplaces themselves and you don't need to be an existing one obviously if there are and there definitely are emerging markets um but primarily this is a marketplace protocol so this is something that would plug in there and i agree with you nathan you spoke uh, previously about some rising competition there's definitely a few marketplaces coming in that are going to i i think give jpeg store run for their money and I'm interested in what your uh, opinions are on, um, I'm sorry, not your opinions, The uh, what marketplaces you think that those would be, because I like JPEG store a lot. We won't get into, apparently there was some JPEG store drama that happened today. It's not super relevant. All people need to know is that JPEG store and Kalichi, you know this because you have, you've pointed me to all the Cardano uh, statistic websites. JPEG store is something like a 94% market share. So I think it's fair to say they have a monopoly, people. And usually, <laughs> monop usually monopolies aren't that great in both economics and art, uh, but it, it's that way for now. They've been great at growing the space. Right. But who do you think are, and certainly getting at prominence, they've made it easy to use, buy, sell, hold, integrate those wallets. Right. Um, yeah. You know, come on, you just plug in your NAMI wallet. You give them the 25 ADA, and then I've got all those cool NFTs uh, that are on my that are on my wallet there. Yeah. What do you think are the competing marketplaces for JPEG Store 
right now, Nighthawk? Well, I think the most obvious one is CNFT.io, right? Um, now they've, they've launched minting for projects and that's sort of the next step. But I do think that that's sort of the obvious one. The next one that's coming up is, is a decentralized marketplace um, by Fettuccini of Angel Baby Hit Squad called Plutus Art. Plutus Art, yeah. That one's going to be huge. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, real quick. I, there's so many people in just the blockchain space in general that I never get I never get angry at myself for not knowing somebody. Did you say fettuccine, fettuccine baby of? The yeah, angel? I gotta, I gotta, I gotta point this out, and this is a compliment to Nighthawk. I work in pro wrestling outside of here, <laughs> and in pro wrestling, we get to come up with our own names, and also the football league I work for, we get to come up with our own nicknames in the A Seven FL. In this space, doing the non fungible news or doing these podcasts, the names are. Better than any, I, I'm, I'm old internet. I am in my early 30s. So I am a part of the message board days, the forum days, the AOL chat days. These are better than any screen names I have ever thought of or seen in my life. So shout out to everybody in the crypto and NFT space, especially Nighthawk. Nighthawk's just a badass name. Also a pretty cool movie theater in Brooklyn. But yeah, can you clarify that name for us just one more time? What was that name? I caught the fettuccine. What was after that? Yeah, so his name, uh, Fettuccine, like the pasta, and he has a Cardano NFT project called Angel Baby Hit Squad and um, Demon Hit Squad as well, uh, which it. just entered. But yeah, he's fabulous. And he's starting Plutus Art. So I think that's that's also going to be a, a competitor of JPEG store. Perfect. Uh, not only is Fettuccine an amazing pasta and still a reason to go to Olive Garden in case you haven't been there in a long time. Just great. But yes, I <laughs> to, to echo what Matt said, that's, that's another thing that I love about just the blockchain space in general. But once again, I'll hit back on Cardano. You just like, I, I like the weird and kind of wonderful aspect of the Cardano NFT space like this, because it's never, um, it's also never like sarcastic or like too meta. It's always like this very weird, whimsical, wonderful, at least the stuff that, that I'm looking at here. Um, <laughs> but uh yeah it's just a lot of fun i'm, I'm interested in nighthawk and then you know matter Kalichi, if you if you have another question you can jump in have you ever thought about having your own nft collection yeah everyone asks me this on the way to the moon once you do it <laughs> nighthawk just do it no um <laughs> it's not my intention to have my own project the reason being is that when you have a project that is now your child there's no giving it up, no releasing it. Um, if you'd like to do more in the space, that is. Um, and that's being diplomatic. I see myself as uh, more diversified. I like to have my hands in a bit of everything. And uh, I think that's why I can provide the most value as well. Um, my attention span's really short. So <laughs> I might be over the project in a matter of six months, you know? Uh, but I think it's just a huge, huge responsibility to have a project. You are tasked with the unique uh, responsibility of coming up with new innovation constantly as a brand new project and as a startup business, effectively, you are tasked with investing in your project and being in the red for the first several years. That's average, that's similar to web two. For me, um, you know, I, this is my, 
my second job, but it's also my what I do every day of the week. Um, I work crazy hours and um, I'm I'm much more of a. I don't know how to describe it, but for me, I, I like to make sure that my time is compensated, really. And um, I think it's just a lot. There's a lot of investment you have to do in a project. You not only have to be the funder, but you also need to be the innovator. And you need to kind of have this, this strong um, commitment to it. And that takes a very specific kind of person. For me, I like to see big, you know, big picture, but in terms of the details, the day to day, uh, I'm not the best person for that. <laughs> That's, yeah. a, that's, that's a good segue to the next question I want to ask. I know like you do a lot of advisory to, uh, to a lot of projects and obviously, you know, we did the same with my project, Ghost Genetic Club. Uh, I'd like to pick your brain when it comes to different projects that you've, you've worked with or you've seen in, in the space. Like, what do you think is the most challenging part of, you know, actually, you know, not only just launching a project, but actually making it successful, you know? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I think everyone needs a roadmap, right? You kind of have to have an objective of where you're going, but you also need to make sure that the current technology and the current sort of cost benefit is there. I think what we see a lot of projects doing is saying the community wants a metaverse or the community wants gamified staking, but then the project leads because they're not developers um, or maybe they're, they're not uh, finance people, quote unquote. They don't know the how to do it they don't know how to put this in force and i think every project successful project has a business model they know where they're going to build they know how much it's going to cost and they know what the benefit of that or at least forecasted is they do their market research they determine if there is in fact demand in our current ecosystem and then they ascertain whether that's something they can actually deliver so having a viable business model is the most important thing it's unfortunately something that takes a lot of expertise and it's not just something that a single project leader can ascertain by themselves. They need multiple people within their team and multiple people takes one of two things. Either it takes immediate costs up front or takes equity and very few project leads are willing to, to spread that around. So, you know, viable business model, but you also need uh, different team members contributing areas of expertise. And where do you find that? Well, you typically find it in web too. Um, but there's, as I mentioned before, there's a talent squeeze. There's a talent squeeze everywhere, but specifically in a startup environment like this, because you might have people from web two who are more than capable of handling scenarios like this, where you're business modeling um, and you're implementing, but very few can actually work in an ambiguous scenario like this, where the payout is not at all guaranteed or the effectiveness of what you're launching is not guaranteed at all. So it's a it's a mixed bag. It's very challenging for project leads. Yes, it 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 seems to me from the outside looking in and uh you know only knowing one NFT uh NFT um project owner it really is like a startup. Uh but in some ways I feel like it's actually much more complicated than a startup because you can read books that have been written since the 30s or the 50s on how to start a business, incorporate it, do the depend what geographical location you are in. These 
the the space moves so fast, and I just mean the blockchain space in general, not to mention the Cardano space, that to have your head on straight and be organized and be successful and be motivated, um, that's already hard enough, not even to mention what you're talking about, where it's like, well, are you willing to pay these upfront costs or are you willing to part with some equity for somebody to actually help you do this? And that that's kind of what I was talking about, where it was like, you know that in the blockchain space, no matter what blockchain you're on, but especially Cardano, you're always going to have super technical people, like the developer people, they can write the protocol, they can execute this stuff, blah, blah, blah. And then you're always going to have the super creative people, the artists, they're just like, I just want to create all day digital art, put it up, I don't even care if it's 1080A, but getting them to come together and execute a project so it's successful and it's, it just doesn't disappear after six months I imagine is quite the handful, which is why you have such a unique perspective on this. Another thing I, I kind of wanted to ask you about is, um, you know, the tech space in general is notoriously uh, a bunch of dudes, right? Especially a bunch of dudes around computers. But yeah. the thing that I really like about blockchain in particular is in its best case, it is a meritocracy where if you know the tech and you are able to do stuff, uh, that's just the way it is. Like nobody can, nobody can tell me that I can't open up a lightning channel on Bitcoin. Nobody can censor a transaction on Bitcoin. You can't censor a transaction on Cardano. If I, if I want to, uh, send somebody a CNFT from my NAMI wallet, they can't stop it. Like if you know the tech, you can do things in the space. That being said, there are still people in the space and people have all sorts of flaws. Have you found out or have you found since we've talked about Cardano being a much more welcoming blockchain that kind of tries to cultivate a certain ethos. Have you found that being a woman in this space is is a little bit easier or kind of a little bit more fun? And especially since you've kind of tried to gather and rally around other sorts of women creators and kind of highlight women in the Cardano space. Um, being a woman, I... I only until I would say recently was or have been um, received any sort of pushback or, or had to qualify myself. I think that's natural because we're growing and obviously that there's going to be multiple sort of parties to contend with and work with. Um, it's true that it seems to be, you know, around the, uh, the ratio of men to women is about mm, 20 to one. As that's, that's what it feels like, especially going to CNFT Con in Las Vegas in October. Um, but being a woman, I think you you really need to understand that you you kind of have to come correct and that you need to know what your function is, how to communicate that function, and then you need to execute. That's all it is. There, there's, a, there's a lot of noise, and this goes back to the tribalism concept where there's a lot of noise, there's a lot of politics, and if you let them, they can interfere with your objectives. Right. However, um, this is where relationships and this is where your own sort of internal compass comes in. Is first of all, you need to create relationships that are going to help you execute because this is not a vacuum. You know, we're, we're in a really small blockchain and it's almost impossible to do things without anyone else's help and or to cross paths with others. Um, and so first and foremost, you need to make relationships as a woman. You need to establish yourself as authority and you need to have a, a track record of executing. 
and whatever that is. Um, that's the first thing. The second thing as a woman, you need to have an internal compass that says, here's what's really important and here's what's going to carry me forward so I can begin executing my goals. And here's what's noise. Here is what is just part of a growing ecosystem, part of a bear market and simply part of culture that you need to contend with. So for example, if there's an issue on Twitter or someone calls you out, um, however unfair or fair it is, uh, or if there's some kind of Twitter drama that, that tries to paint you in an, in an accurate and unfair way, that's noise as well. <laughs> so really you have to kind of have that internal consistency of right I'm here for a reason here's how I'm going to do it and I'm going to run this like a business because it truly is and that's it that's really all there is to it you it's easy as a woman to feel discouraged and to want people to like you or everyone but when you get to a place where your name is known you will have people that work to kind of pollute your sense of direction either because they're not doing what you're doing, they know they can't or they know they want to and they just don't know how, you know, multiple scenarios. But it's your job if you indeed would like to be a pioneer or a builder or whatever you like as a woman, you, you need to have that constitution of where you're going and what's important and what's not. It's a nice little roadmap for Cardano ladies that are trying to get into the space. I, I liked how eloquently you put that. Yeah, definitely. I'm glad that I'm, I'm glad that I'm not part of any Twitter drama and that I'm not popular <laughs> and nobody knows me. <laughs> I can do whatever, whatever I want, uh, as I sit here alone in my empty apartment, uh, podcasting. No, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's interesting. Cause you know, BTC Bella, who we had on the show, um, she is, like I said, she's literally a beauty pageant queen who is into technical analysis and has made a bunch of money uh, trading. And she, I, I remember asking her that and her saying something along of like, you know, people will say like, how much can you know? Or like, you know, if you have beauty, then you can't have brains. And she was like, the results speak for themselves. Like, I know, I know how to do technical analysis and I know how to trade. And it's such an interesting thing to... Um, to think about you mentioned a cnft con which i did not go to uh Kalichi did not go to unfortunately next uh, year for sure yeah and, and unfortunately you know i live here in denver colorado they the they had another conference at gaylord of the rockies in aurora which is like 20 minutes from my apartment and i just didn't have the money or the time working for bitmart to go so i missed two cardano conferences this year I would like to know your impression of the Cardano conferences because the only conferences I've been to in crypto have been huge ones. I went to Bitcoin Miami and then me and Kalichi went to Consensus in Austin. So just huge, huge events. But Cardano, as you talked about, although we did see Charles Hoskins in at Consensus, we saw him at the Cardano booth, which was huge, but it was still a booth in general. I'm interested to know because of how small, what you just talked about, that Cardano is almost like, you know, living in a big, small town about you go to CNFTCon, you see these people that you've interacted with online, maybe dozens or hundreds of times, finally in person. What was it like? Did you meet a lot of people there? Are these conferences, are crypto conferences worth going to? I'd love, I'd love for you to talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. So I went to the one, which is CNFTCon in Las Vegas in October. And uh, I actually 
didn't book my flight um, until the day before. And as I noticed, you know, oh gosh, I had to be there quickly. Um, and I wouldn't actually arrive in time to do panels and set up and all this stuff. I actually drove. <laughs> and what, what should have taken me 16 hours took me 24 hours total. So I was in my car for quite a long time. I got lost. I was in Idaho, somehow ended up there. I was lost in cliffs. I was driving over cliffs. My hands all palmy. I almost ran out of gas in, in um, the deserts. I saw weird things. I slept on the side of the road. I woke up with, you know, the semi sort of driving past and shaking the car. It was sunrise, sunset, you name it. It was really scary, but I got there um, and it was it was marvelous. You know, I, I haven't spent a lot of time in Las Vegas. Um, I'm, I'm much more of a New York, London kind of person, but um, there it was. And so I get into the hotel and I see all of a sudden it's like at 12 p.m. You know, at night and I'm just after a 24 hour drive and I'm all of a sudden accosted by this loud noise from this band playing in the lobby. And it's all these people like at the roulette tables and all of a sudden they have this band who's like basically entertaining and there's drinks and it smells of smoke and all this stuff and I was quite like taken aback okay so it's going to be <laughs> so um I get to you know the counter and they didn't have record of me but anyway all of these things that were kind of like okay I really hope this is going to go well because this is my first time here and the next day I get to conference and I start seeing everyone who I kind of recognize on screen. So, you know, the people that I have on my round tables, like, like Blake and like Patrick and like Ali of Cardona Women. Um, and all of a sudden it feels like it's a, a reunion of sorts. It's a reunion of the people who are building in our space and really making a difference. And it was quite an honor. You know, I, I sort of feel like it was a Disneyland of Cardona NFTs. It truly was work, but it also was relationship building. And it was such a pleasure to interact with these people um, who you'd only known virtually. And it was a big opportunity, really, because I think that when you meet people in person, um, it just gives you an extra ounce of credibility and it gives you opportunity to sort of uh, pitch to them ideas or, or potentially partner together, which it was my goal, at least going there. And um, you mentioned previously when reading my link tree that I was part of CNFTCon. Um, yeah, I was part of their team for, I was a sponsorships ambassador. So uh, I was involved in uh, partnering with projects and ecosystem projects and basically taking care of sponsorships. And then the other part of my responsibility was speaking on panels. So um, I was panel organizer. I put together, together several panels. I moderated and or spoke on about nine eight or nine panels that weekend. So, um, you know, the, the the cost of that was I was mostly in panel rooms throughout the entire event. Um, and I, I wish I would have had more time to come down and socialize with the project leads at their booth. Um, but it was a phenomenal event. And I really look forward to the next one next year. It's, it's definitely the Cardano NFT event of the season for sure is NFTCon. Well, we missed out, didn't we, Kalichi? Yeah, uh, I wanted to go too, just for the story. Just end up in Idaho somewhere. Just sounds like a <laughs> sounds like an interesting story. Like the time I got abandoned in an empty dance club in Queens. It's not a good time, but a good story. We're gonna yeah. have to. <laughs> it, yeah, 
I have pictures. I will never forget. I will never do that again. I'll always book my flight. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, like that experience, it was crazy. And also, you know, when you get to meet people that are truly making a difference in our space, you know, the Patricks of the world, um, it sort of solidifies for yourself. I am part of this group. I am an early adopter and there's so much talent in our space that it it gives you more, um, I guess it, it sort of validates the investment that you put in because you you trust leadership. You trust what they're doing in our space is good for it and that they have good intentions. So it's a, it's a marvelous opportunity. Absolutely. Um, definitely we will have to go next year, Kalichi, won't we? Uh, oh, definitely. Is it, is it going to be in Vegas next year? Because that's my only qualm is that I really don't like Vegas, but I'd go. <laughs> I'd, I'd go I know, I know. I have to know. Yeah, I mean, as I mentioned, I'm not a fan of Vegas either. Um, but yes, the the one of the CNFT cons, and I'll just put that out there, will always be in Las Vegas. Okay. In- I'll tell you, the, the thing that I did like about Las Vegas was that you could smoke inside the casinos, which even though I'm not really a smoker, uh, it was just such a 60s, 70s vibe, throwback vibe to me that the, that the fact that you could do it, I was, I was smoking in these casinos and they were like, Nathan, I didn't know you smoked. And I'm like, I don't. I'm just allowed to now. So maybe it's, maybe it's good that it's, it's banned in most of these places. But to what you, um, to what you were saying Nighthawk, and and we'll, we're we're heading towards the end of our conversation here, but I definitely wanted to hit on some Cardano and and major non Cardano points. Is you're so right that when you finally meet people in person, it like actually solidifies that the stuff that people are doing is actually there. I, when you when you said meeting people, you know, down in the in the lobby or in the hotel, it made me think of the first time that I ever met Kalichi in Austin, Texas. Unfortunately, I've never actually gotten to meet Matt, just despite <laughs> working with him for almost 10 months now. I was supposed to go to New York, but they canceled that. They couldn't have us meet because uh, it, would, it would be like a nuclear bomb or something. The city like would that. have been torn apart. The it city would have ended poorly apart. for all of us. Five boroughs, we would have carved out a six, called it Nathanville. Um, <laughs> so, so when you when you're meeting people in person behind, you know, what is usually a screen, it really does, you know, solidify relationships. I I totally understand what you mean there. I had my last question here, like on the tip of my tongue, and it is just totally evaporated. <laughs> well, you know what? We can save that question for the next time we have Nighthawk on the show. Nighthawk, you have been awesome, and we want to talk more with you throughout the rest of this year and into 2023. We will have the never-ending link tree for Nighthawk in the show notes. So if you want to follow what she's doing, mm-hmm. if you want to be a part of the communities that she is a part of and she is helping build, you can do that in the show notes. You can also follow us on social media in the show notes and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast feed or click the subscribe button, ring the notification bell, and hit the like on this video and drop a comment. Let us know what you think. Let us know if you have any questions about Cardano that we can answer in a future episode where we just ask Kalichi a litany of questions until we run out of battery. But litany. Nighthawk, thank you so much for joining us. Nathan, Kalichi, pleasure as always. This has been a bit more brain trust. Here comes the part we all love. Nathan, reading the legal Michigas. Bye-bye. Hello to everybody out there in crypto land. Did you enjoy that conversation? I know that I did. It's always interesting to learn more about crypto projects, NFTs, and what is going on in the 
this very unique industry. But now, we've got to get some legal stuff out of the way, alright? It's just the way that it is. So, I wanted to let you know that all opinions and actions expressed and undertaken by the hosts and guests are individual opinions and actions and do not reflect the views and actions of Bitmart. Bitmart does not guarantee the accuracy, applicability, reliability, integrity, performance, completeness, or appropriateness of this content. The value of digital currencies can go up or down, and there can be a substantial risk in buying, selling, holding, or investing in digital currencies. You should carefully consider whether trading or holding digital currencies is suitable for you based on your personal investment objectives, financial circumstances, and risk tolerance. Bitmart does not provide investment, tax, or legal advice. Use of BitMart services is entirely at your own risk.